0: There is much trouble in the world these days. We hear about illnesses. We've had the whole COVID pandemic. We hear about wars, think of Ukraine. But there are wars too in the Middle East and in parts of Africa that we hear much less about. Our world is a difficult place to live in, in so many respects. This coming winter, we know that heating is going to be very expensive, and there may even be shortages of gas and electricity. Our world is full of problems. Perhaps you've thought at some time or other, what would Jesus do if he was here? What would he have to say? I don't think we really have to imagine what Jesus' response to a world of difficulties is like. For in the Gospels, we find him living in a world that was much like our own. You think about it for a moment. He lived in a land that had been conquered by the Roman Empire. He lived at a time of great difficulty. And you can see how brutal some of that was when you think of how Jesus was told in Luke chapter 13 about... Pilots' action in killing those who had come to sacrifice. In many ways, it was a terrible day. In fact, some ways, much worse than ours, although we have more technology, which has its own difficulties in our day. look back through john's gospel we find that in chapter two religion had become corrupted and contaminated remember how he said that his father's house had become a house of merchandise remember him cleansing the temple driving out the money changers Think about chapter 3, Nicodemus, a religious leader who was very skilled and learned in many respects, I'm sure, came to Jesus by night. He didn't understand what Jesus was saying. didn't understand the need for to be born anew of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 4, we read about him meeting that woman at the well. A woman who had had five husbands. And how the man that she was then with was not her husband. There's nothing new in our society in that respect. In chapter 5, there was a crowd of people with disabilities waiting there at the pool of Bethesda. What did Jesus do? He healed one of them. A mighty miracle. In chapter 6, we find the verses we didn't read at the start of the chapter. A great multitude who he had been teaching And he saw them. He saw that they needed feeding. And he fed them. Remember that great miracle. Verse 9, the five barley loaves and two small fishes, which Andrew had found in possession of a lad. How Jesus multiplied them after giving thanks, and how they were all fed. In that moment, He met their momentary physical needs for well, one day. He had had compassion on them. But this led to its own problems. And this is the key point. I want us to see today Jesus' ministry was misunderstood by people in so many respects they saw the food provided freely and who wouldn't want free food every day well it's not always as welcome as you might think you just have to read the book of Numbers to find that out. But they wanted Jesus to provide free food. But Jesus' ministry was not focused on providing a solution for every problem in society. His ministry was not about doing as many miracles as he could. He had a much higher A much more important task during his time in public ministry. You see that, firstly, the miracles show who Jesus is. When he had multiplied the loaves and the fish that was experienced by a vast crowd. They said. Having eaten. Verse 14. This is of a truth. That prophet that should come into the world. It sounds so good. They were thinking biblically. In some ways. They were going back to Moses. Back there in Deuteronomy. And his promise. Chapter 18 of a. A prophet like unto himself, who they would hear. But notice verse 15, that Jesus had discerned what they were going to do. They wanted to take him and make him king. To take him by force and make him king. A mighty, miracle-working king who could solve all their problems in a moment. Think about it. What an opportunity to be free from all the tyranny of Rome. What an opportunity. No more famine in the land. Jesus could do it all. Their focus was on the here and now. But what did Jesus do in response? Verse 15. He departed again into a mountain alone. He explained this after the crowd had followed him and caught up with him on the next day. Verse 26. Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Of course they saw the miracle, but they didn't see what it meant. They didn't see the purpose of it. They didn't see its meaning. They enjoyed the bread. And wanted more of it. But they didn't understand. What the miracle actually was saying. Why Jesus had done it. Their focus was on immediate bodily needs. They were pursuing earthly happiness legitimate needs in terms of daily bread but they missed the main point they wanted earthly contentment they seemed to have thought that that's what Jesus was offering George Hutchison says Christ graciously conferred bodily benefits. It was their fault not to see the glory of the Godhead shine through as signs confirming his doctrine. They didn't see the glory of the Godhead shine through. And what a terrible mistake that was on their part. So Jesus goes on to speak to them in verse 27 and says to them, Labour not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Take your eyes off the here and now for a moment. You have a very real and a very pressing abiding need. You will lose everything you have in your possession now. You will, because one day you will die and have to leave it all behind. Jesus spoke of enduring unto everlasting life. I don't know, but I I think perhaps when Jesus was speaking of life here, those who heard him, knowledgeable religious people, should have thought back to Adam and how Adam had fellowship with God. God that that fellowship was broken Adam died spiritually when he sinned when he rebelled when he lived for the moment without thought for the importance of God's word this is why we live in a broken world, because Adam sinned and rebelled. No one, no one had to teach you how to say something that was untrue, to tell a lie, to bear false witness, to blame someone else for something you'd done. To keep quiet when you should have spoken up. To covet. To desire to want for yourself something that belongs to someone else. It's very common, especially amongst children. Someone gets a new toy. And others want it. It's common amongst adults. Someone gets a new car. And instead of rejoicing in that person's blessing, we feel bad that we haven't got a new car ourselves. It's wrong, it's sinful. Sometimes these things seem trivial. Sometimes they're vital. A momentary thought of hatred in your heart. That's the sort of thought that leads to people being killed. And Jesus says, "If you have the thought in your heart, in God's sight, you are guilty because it's what you wanted in that moment. God sees sin, and we tend to overlook it and forget about it, to blame others. The world is a bad place because I am in it. In my natural state. Corrupt. A rebel. Living for my own glory. Not the glory of my creator. When Jesus did this great amazing miracle. They should have seen. Something of the glory of God. Shining through. Instead of focusing on their desire for a bread and for national glory, in Adam we are sinners. These miracles, verse 27 again, there, these miracles with the seal of the Father upon the Lord Jesus Christ even as Peter said in his great sermon on the day of Pentecost Acts chapter 2 verse 22 ye men of Israel hear these words Jesus of Nazareth a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you as ye yourselves also know they were the seal of his heavenly Father upon him in his incarnation. This crowd enjoyed the food. They claimed to want make, to want to make Jesus their king, but they wanted only their earthly problems solved. They didn't look beyond to see who Jesus is. They didn't look beyond to labour for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son shall give unto you. In verse 28 we see them ask what seems like a very good question. Verse 28. Then said they unto him, What will we do that we might work The works of God. What shall we do that we might work the works of God? What can we do to make God happy with us? Sounds like a good question. But they totally missed the point. They were thinking of law and wages. They wanted to earn God's blessing. He wanted to be paid for doing something acceptable in God's sight. Jesus had just freely, graciously, bountifully given them food and a miracle which testified of his person and his grace. And they think of doing things to earn merit, with God. And this brings us to one of the key verses in this passage, verse 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. It's another way of saying, Stop thinking about works. Start thinking about faith. Start thinking about trusting God and what he has promised and what he has done. They are called on to trust in the person of Jesus as the one sent the one sealed of the father by his amazing signs. The one who came not to negotiate wages and rewards, but to offer freely the true bread from heaven. So we've seen, a hope, The miracles show something of who Jesus is. Secondly, please note that Jesus, the living bread, came to give life unto the world. Jesus did many miracles. But desiring miracles is the wrong response. Notice that in verse thirty four. The crowd said. Lord evermore give us this bread. Jesus had to lay it down very plainly for them. Verse 35. I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. The whole of scripture, the whole of his ministry, all his miracles, all his teaching. The point is this one vital truth. A truth which is so easily missed. Verse 32 we read there. My father, my father giveth you the true bread from heaven in what way did the father give the true bread from heaven in what way did Jesus give himself me see the answer in verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. When did Jesus give his flesh for the life of the world? When he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. When he laid down his life. As a sacrifice. The Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. This is the Father giving the Son. This is Jesus giving himself to die as a sacrifice. It is in his vicarious penal substitutionary death. That Jesus is the bread of heaven. There's no other time. When he gave his flesh. It was through his death. That Isaiah 53 is fulfilled. The servant came to suffer. That he might bring us to God. It is by his stripes we are healed. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of his all. It was on that cross that his body was broken and his blood was shed we notice from leviticus 17 verse 10 the life of the flesh is in the blood verse 11 there the life of the flesh is in the blood and i have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. This is why the people under the law of Moses were forbidden to eat of the blood. Dear friends, this is when Jesus poured out his lifeblood to make an atonement. He gave his life as in a sacrifice that we might be reconciled with God. That we would have life. Restored fellowship with God. This is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus performed those mighty miracles. They demonstrated. Something of his. Glory of who he is. He gave himself. As the bread of life. Thirdly. We are called upon. To eat. And live. This is something that really confused the people. Verse 52. The Jews. Therefore strove among themselves saying. How can this man give us his flesh to eat. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat of the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink of his blood, ye have no life in you. Whosoever eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life. I will raise him up on the last day. How are we to understand these words? Go back to verse 29. Jesus has already explained the great principle he's talking about. This is the work of God, Jesus answered, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. Once you have that verse fixed before you, the rest of the passage becomes clear. Eating the flesh, drinking the blood, is taking them within you. Trusting in them completely. Totally trusting in them. In Jesus' sacrifice. On that cross. For forgiveness and life. Think of how Ezekiel was told to eat that scroll. That scroll which was covered With the word of God. He was not being told to literally eat the parchment or the papyrus or the paper. He was being told to consume God's word. To take it in. To digest it. To be fed by it. To live by it. So it is here that we are to be so trusting Christ. He is to be our daily bread, our heavenly manner. His sacrificial death is to be our salvation. How do Jesus' words here and when he instituted the Lord's Supper fit together? Both of these point to a sacrificial death on the cross. Here, Jesus is speaking of partaking of him by faith at the Lord's Supper. Christ's disciples outwardly mark their ongoing communion with Christ. Our life through his sacrifice. Communion service, to time of sweet fellowship with our Saviour who is truly present with us. But our communion is spiritual. We are not literally eating His flesh or drinking His blood. Looking to the self sacrifice of Christ is foundational to the whole meaning of Scripture. The seed of the woman would be victorious through suffering. In Abraham's seed all the peoples of the world would be blessed. Yet Abraham was asked to take the son of promise and place him upon the altar and raise up that knife. substitute took his place died there on that altar the ram that was caught in the thicket all the sacrifices of the animals that we read about give a daily reminder of the need for one who would actually pay the penalty who would make one sacrifice for sin forever only then would the priest be able to sit down for the work would be finished. And isn't that what the Lord Jesus Christ declared on the cross? It is finished. It's not enough to admire Jesus for his moral teaching. Indeed, If you limit yourself to this, you have totally misunderstood him. It's not enough to be amazed at his miracles. We must look at their true meaning and purpose. The seal of the Father upon him. We must see that he came to die. Is the good shepherd to save his people from their sin? We need to have that sense of a hunger and a thirst after righteousness. That which we cannot earn of ourselves. That which is offered and given freely in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Through his sinless life. Through his atoning death on the cross. That new life, through his resurrection, that glorious triumphal resurrection, he ever liveth to make intercession for us. We need that sense of godly sorrow which Worketh repentance unto salvation. Oh, that our desire was to have more of Christ. Oh, that we would lift up our eyes from the earthly bread. And fix them on the heavenly bread, which is Christ. It is then that this world's tribulations and problems are put into their true perspective. It is then that we are able to endure affliction. Knowing that God is working out his purpose. That he has called upon his people. To be light shining in the darkness. To be witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amidst an age. When darkness seems to abound more and more but yet he is building his church that is why he came that is why he died that is why he rose again he is building his church this message is the only hope amidst the darkness and the difficulties of our day the only lasting hope You think about it, at every turn, when peace seems to blossom, something goes wrong. Think of the fall of the Soviet Union, all those years ago. After years of tyranny, there seemed to be a spark of freedom and hope. And now what do we have? Threats of nuclear war every year there are famines, every year there are wars, every year there are earthquakes in diverse places. It will be so until the Lord Jesus Christ returns again. But we have the wonderful promise, if your trust is in him, of everlasting life. Our hope, our inheritance is not in this world. We are not to be laboring, not to have a heart set upon our Daily bread on the amount of possessions that we can get for ourselves. Our eyes are to be fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be laying up thereby for ourselves treasure in heaven. Oh, dear friends, that great promise of verse 54 whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my cup hath eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Dear friends. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. See who he is. See what he has done. See what he is offering. Verse 29. This is the work of God. That ye believe on him whom he hath sent. And to believe means to truly take it in, to live depending upon Him every day. Look to Jesus. Cry out unto Him for mercy and He will hear you. Do so today and every day. Here's the true bread. Amen. Amen.